You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Hey, welcome to your Wednesday. Thank you all for dialing us up, dialing us in. We appreciate that very much. It is Big Noon Sports, aforementioned. You've got uh, Justin Jones, our producer, as always. And it's Matt and Lars. And Lars, um, going to start the show on a sad note. And he was probably just a little bit before your time. But I know you're very well aware of his, his leather work and his bat. And Brooks Robinson, the longtime Orioles third baseman, passed away last night at the age of 86. I don't know if I can tell you many players that had such a passion for the the game and a passion for life and genuinely regarded by players and fans and managers alike as a genuinely fine person. What else would you expect for somebody that was born in Arkansas? He was a Little Rock native, but he held down the third base, a hot corner in a fashion that um, we hadn't seen before and Honestly, I'm not sure we've seen it since, but he was uh, the golden era of baseball's third baseman and uh, a real icon to the little kids like myself that grew up watching him. And I grew up watching him in the 60s. Then he played on in the 70s up until I was through high school. So 23 years in the bigs. And I was reading up on him just a, a minute ago, Lars, and this just boggled my mind. In the history of baseball... He has more putouts and assists than any other player. He has more double play chances and more double play completions from third base than anyone who ever played that position in the game. He has had more, he had more chances, more hit balls at him. And an 18 time all star, a two time World Series champ, God rest in peace. Brooks Robinson. I I know you've read about him, but I don't know. You're probably too young to ever really watch his glove work at third base. No, I never saw him play, but uh, certainly uh, I know that he's widely regarded as the best defensive third baseman of all time. What is, uh, and I got so much noise going on over here at the at studio uh volleyball anderson it's crazy uh and hopefully i'll get this resolved but uh what's your favorite memory of seeing him play matt um in 70 when they took down the big red machine the cincinnati reds he hit a uh, lee may for the reds hit a scalding like one hopper over the bag and somehow he got his glove on it to just field it it's generally called one of the greatest plays in the history of baseball, but certainly in World Series play. But first of all, Lee May could hit with a lot of power, and he powered one right down the chalk, and it hit and bounced high. Or may, may have been, I, I don't know. Anyway, somehow Robinson got his ball in the glove. That was a feat in itself. But to be able to turn and throw him out at first, uh, if you guys haven't heard of that play or seen that play, Google it. You'll find it real fast because um, he knew he had to hop it off turf in order to have a chance of hitting Boog Powell, but he did, and it was one of the more spectacular plays in the history of baseball, and I remember it fondly today. And I think, if I'm uh, going to really test my old man memory, I think Lee May was from Birmingham, from Alabama. 
I'll look that up here shortly. But what, do you remember hearing anything about him since you didn't have the um, fortunate opportunity to watch him play? I really didn't. Uh, I was a big, I still am a big Baltimore Orioles fan. Uh, so I'm certainly aware of, uh, of Brooks Robinson and how he was kind of the gold standard at uh, third base. But, um, you know, I never, I've just seen old sort of highlights of him. And the majority of the highlights are him uh, on third. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, making defensive plays. I can't tell you this. I mean, I can't tell you how annoying this is. Like, it sounds it, like every, you're on the board. Sounds like the board's outside. It sounds like you're literally mowing your yard right now. Yeah, yeah. Kind of comical. Uh, it, but it, it must, sure it must, it must make for great radio. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, on a uh, on a lighter note, a much lighter note. Uh, guess what the top story is on SI.com, Matt. Travis Kelsey addresses oh. relationship with Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Yeah, I, okay, but he uh, he uh, just basically said um, he called Swift ballsy for coming to the game. He, he said, <laughs> "Shout out, shout out to Taylor for pulling up. That was pretty ballsy. That was pretty ballsy. I just thought it was awesome how everybody in the suite had nothing but great things to say about her. She looked amazing, and everyone was talking about her in a great light. And on top of the on top of that, uh, the day went perfect for Chiefs fans. Of course, we script it all. <laughs> and so uh, he's certainly not not denying it. And uh, I think his uh, following now has swelled to over five, but uh, grown by five hundred thousand on social. And his jersey just continues to fly off the rack because the the Swifties are out in force, the millions and millions of them, and uh, you know, dressed up and uh, wearing their Travis Kelsey uh, attire. So, uh, did you get a chance to listen? No, to Taylor Swift. I was about to bring that up, but uh, in my little trip over to Odenville and back, I was uh, busy on the phone taking care of some business-related items, and I did not get a chance. But in a rare occurrence, particularly this week, I have uh, part of the afternoon off. And while I sit here on my computer, I'm going to dial it up on my little uh, Alexa thing and listen to uh, and maybe become a Swifty. I don't know. But uh, I will listen today, and um, we will continue, you know, with our show, uh, Lawnmower or not. I thought they gave us a break a second ago. Uh, maybe they just ran out of gas. You remember cutting your yard when you were a kid, running out of gas? What a pain that was. Yes. You had to go back yeah. in the garage. You had to get the can. I don't know about you. You'd have to get a funnel, and then those whole gas cans, you had to open up the vent in order to pour the gas out, and... No matter how hard you tried, you always spilled some on on the mower, and you were worried that when you restarted, it was going to burst into flames. But um, not not that I, uh, you know, have uh, unfond memories of mowing the grass. I really, as an adult, loved it because it was therapeutic. But when you were a kid and you had to, and there were no power-driven mowers, you had to push that big old Briggs and Stratton around the yard. It was a pain. Not that I put any thought in the lawn mowing since we got... <laughs> since we've gotten on the air today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we had a pretty big yard growing up, and uh, 
I don't know why, but my brother never did it. It always fell, fell to me. Either. <laughs> it always fell to me to do it. You know, Eric was always, uh, uh, you know, busy, right? Playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. But, uh, yeah, I remember all that vividly. And, you know, and one summer, my dad was just after me to paint the house. Uh, our house was sort of a, a, a dark red, like a cherry oak red, and it was, it had faded a little bit. And so I proceeded to paint the whole house. And it took me. Yes, it took me forever. It took me. I was probably 14. Wow. And. and, Pretty tall task for a teenager. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, And the thing is, I was determined not to tell him and not let him see me because he would be at work, right? And so that was kind of my summer job that summer was to paint the house. And he, when I finished, I asked dad to take a look at the house and he didn't even notice. He didn't even notice. (laughs) Well, it must not have faded very much. Uh, It it did. I mean, he, uh, you know, it was more the the principle of uh, just seeing if I would do it. Right. And, uh, and of course, I. No, no. I mean, he just—he just—he was just—he was just oblivious. He was oblivious to it. And he, you know, he had—he had other things, other things on his mind. Yeah. Unfortunate people, from what I understand, he did a lot of. Yeah. Anyway, wow! Didn't think we'd end up talking about mowing yards and painting houses, but we did. Uh, later in the show, bottom of the hour, we'll talk with the Mike Rodak, Mail.com. And excuse me, where is he, Lars? Bama twenty-four-seven. And we've uh, also got, I thought, since Alabama had a very big commitment in basketball and started practicing this week, I thought we would get Brian Passink on to talk about the 23-24 Alabama Crimson Tide. In the meantime, George from Macon is on hold. We love talking to this guy. I bet he has something to say about Brooks Robinson, and we'll take that call on the other side of the break as we continue on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. I was, uh, boy, I don't know if I should, (laughs) I'll just be ruthlessly honest. Why not? Okay. I am uh, mowing the grass up there at Smith and I'm sort of just by myself and um, I am wearing uh, just like uh, these Nebraska um, like workout shorts, right? Or basketball shorts, basically. And um, some really like loose boxers underneath it. The only reason I bring that up is because I'm mowing the lawn and I did not know that yellow jackets oh, live no. on the ground. Yes. I always thought that they uh, lived, you know, in, in the like trees. Yes. In a beehive or something. And man, I went over it. And there must have been 10 yellow jackets that went straight up my shorts. Ouch. Oh, I think we might have heard enough. Yeah. And yes, yes. In really awful places. And I, I was, I, I was in so much pain and um, I called my, uh, I, I, I called uh, KK, 
right? My, my former mother-in-law who just has all this great sort of homespun wisdom about what I can do uh, to ease this uh, searing pain. And I don't smoke, but somebody had left uh, some cigarettes and I, uh, she said, get, if you have a cigarette, get it, get the, get the cigarette and, and pull out tobacco and just rub tobacco into the wound, into the, the sting. It pulls and out, it pulls out the top. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable, Matt. Like it, the, all the pain went away in about 30 seconds. It's amazing. It's like, yeah. uh, I, and I'd never heard of that. Like you're in on uh, what are those things? On a yes, on a sea, on a uh, jellyfish. Jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> that one I've never experienced. The tobacco one, uh, when I was a little kid, I experienced that because uh, my dad grabbed one and put it on, uh, got on the back of my neck, and I was even as a kid, I remember I stopped crying pretty quick. But uh, the worst one uh, I, I ever experienced, and um, unfortunately, it's surely due to my fault and a lack of attention but you know that's back in the day where you know the neighborhood dogs ran around the neighborhood it wasn't a big deal everybody's dog was everybody else's dog yeah but there were a few that were larger than others and you know what that means when they uh, make their deposit and if you're not paying any attention and you run over that you know what is literally flying everywhere. <laughs> that's that's not fun. But I think I would rather do that fifty times than have yellow jackets in in your uh, pi- package. That yeah. Put? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This show has gone from um, off really the rails here. Enough. Yeah, it, it has yeah. indeed. Um, <laughs> hey, Lars, I think right before we hit the air. Michigan State made the announcement. Is that what you're led to believe? Mel Tucker's no longer their head football coach. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we saw this coming. And, uh, yeah, they, they have officially fired Mel Tucker. And, um, and, uh, and, and so this comes after that sexual misconduct scandal that we have talked about. And there's still the legal fight over uh, the 75 million or so that is still remaining on Tucker's uh, very, very lucrative contract. That's going to continue moving forward. But the school now is free to move forward to find a new coach for the 2024 season. And in the statement that Michigan State released, uh, they said that Tucker was terminated for, quote, his admitted and undisputed behaviors, which have brought public disrespect, contempt and ridicule upon the university and and constitute a material breach of his agreement and moral turpitude. Boy, you think a lawyer wrote that? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Tucker, he had, uh, just strictly, let's just, just talk about football, right? Uh, he, um, uh, had a nice season in 2021, uh, got Michigan State, uh, finished 11 and 2, uh, and, uh, and number nine in the, in the polls. But then on September 10th, he was, um, he was, uh, suspended after a USA Today report 
revealed that Tucker was the subject of a long-running investigation into whether he violated the university policy by allegedly ha- harassing a woman contracted to work with the football program, and that's uh, Brenda Tracy. And there have been all this sort of back and forth between uh, Tucker's attorneys and, and Tracy and the university. And, you know, the university was hoping to keep this under the radar, but it's turned into an absolute public spectacle. Um, it just re- does not reflect well on the university. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, um, it's just sort of going on and on. And, I, you know, Mel Tucker spent time at Alabama and I'd never got a chance to, uh, interact with him. But uh, before all this, you know, he had a pretty good reputation. And uh, but, you know, it just uh, it, it just uh, it, it's it, so it was after that 11 and two season. Right. Uh, other schools started uh, contacting his agent. And that's what prompted Michigan State to give him that incredibly <laughs> spectacular and overpaying a massive overpayment 10 year 95 million and tucker's career record to that point was 18 and 14 wow. dating and his going back to his one season at colorado when he went five and seven and then last season michigan state slumped back they were five and seven and then it was in december that tracy filed her complaint and um yeah, and so uh, the Michigan State started this year two and zero, and then Tucker gets suspended, and the, the scandal right it becomes public, and since then what's happened? Michigan State has lost both of their two games. Uh, they've been actually throttled in both of their games under interim coach Harlan Barnett. So uh, things are really sort of off the rails with the, that Michigan State program. And um, you can certainly expect a mass exodus uh, via the transfer portal after the season. And, um, you know, they're in the same division as Michigan and Ohio State. And then, um, you know, you, uh, you have uh, um, uh, UCLA and USC coming in uh, in 2024 along with Oregon and Washington. And so this, uh, the Michigan State job, I guess you would call it a, a lucrative job, but it's just, it's going to be tough to win there, you know. And so where where does Michigan State go next? Um, and I've seen a, a couple of uh, uh, lists here, and um, you know, people are talking about um, you know we've talked about this about Mike Elko. Right, the Duke head coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's a hot name, especially after Duke beat Clemson in week one. And we've talked about Mark Stoops, right? Kentucky. But would he leave Kentucky? I'm not sure. Um I think that's a lateral move now. Yeah. Maybe um, not even so. Think about the Big Ten, because um Obviously, Michigan State's been a premier team in that league for decades. Yeah. And, uh, you cu- you couple that with the problems at Northwestern, uh, maybe maybe they're bringing USC and UCLA in for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think slack. I think a name to really watch out for is, is Lance Leopold. 
at Kansas. I mean, Kansas was the worst program in the country, the worst program in the country, and now he's got them in the top 25. I mean, he really is a, a, a coach that is gifted at developing talent. Um, another name that we're hearing is uh, Charlie, Charles Huff uh, at Marshall, uh, Willie Fritz at Tulane, um, and then there's a couple of uh, different coordinators, uh, Brian Hartline at Ohio State, Matt House at LSU, Sean Lewis, Colorado. Um, and so we'll see which way they go. I mean, would, would, would somebody like Bill O'Brien? Leave the oh. leave the Patriots to come back to college and and guide Michigan State. I, that 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 could be a possible fit. It really could. Um, if he wants, you know, if he wants to get back in in, in the college game and, and deal with the you know the new realities of, of college football with transfer portal portal NIL. Uh, collectives. I mean, everything has changed, right? So, um, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, we'll see. yeah. Let's talk some Alabama football with uh, Bama 24-7 writer. That's Mike Rodak, who has joined us right here on Tide 100.9 and our affiliates in East Alabama. Mike, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. Personally, I would, I would be surprised to see O'Brien go back to college. I think he's in a pretty good spot in New England where if Bill Belichick gets fired and the odds are increasing that that happens, I think he could possibly be the head coach there. So I, I saw some candidates, you know, get floated out there for the Michigan State job. You know, Mike Elko, Jonathan Smith from Oregon State, P.J. Fleck. Um, I, I would be surprised if O'Brien goes back to college personally. Well, hold on. So I, I'm not. I wasn't really aware that Belichick was uh, under under fire at uh, in, in New England. Um, is it a rift between he and Robert Kraft? Yeah, I mean it's it's the case where Kraft is 82 years old, 83 years old, and um, you know wants to win another Super Bowl and haven't won a playoff game in four years now. Uh, this would be the fifth year. And, you know, it started off 0-2 this year. There was already some columns, you know, Boston Herald, I think, wrote, you know, that Bill Belichick would be in trouble um, if they had lost to the Jets last week and starting to get on the hot seat more and more. So it's definitely a topic up there. I mean, there's, I think, a general idea that they would need to make the playoffs this year uh, for him to remain as coach, which, wow. you know, it's obviously a, a stark turnaround, but it's also, it's the NFL and, uh, it's a what have you done for me lately league and they haven't done much lately. That that's like, like that's like firing George Hallis. Yeah. As long as we're on this, Mike, since you're familiar with that area and the Patriots, um, in comparison to the way Nick Saban is viewed by fans in this state, how is Bilicek viewed in New England? I mean, it's definitely changed in the last five years or so. And I think a lot of people, you know, there's such a close tie between him and Brady where he's he's always going to have this kind of asterisk next to his name that he won all, all these Super Bowls, six of them, with Tom Brady. And ever since Tom Brady's left, that team has been basically a 500 team or slightly below. And, you know, the, the overall career for Bill Belichick, if you go back to, you know, the Cleveland Brown days as a head coach, or before, you know, Brady when he was quarterback in New England, you know, he's, he's, his record isn't great. 
So I, I, it's it's a case of I think people are more and more willing now to give Brady credit for that success and less to Belichick. Whereas at Alabama, Nick Saban, you know, there's been thousands of players that have come through. It's not like there was one single player that was with him the entire time. Um, and obviously, I think that leads to more credit given to Saban. And you know, it's there's differences too. I think just in the college culture and um, you know the NFL culture where college coaches, I think get built up a little bit more because they are the GM and the head coach and the owner. Whereas in the NFL, there's, you know, there's divisions of power and head coaches tend to, you know, change teams and uh, get fired a lot more often. Man, that, that would really be a a stunning turn of events if uh, Bill Belichick were to be fired. Um, Okay. So let's uh, talk about Bill Belichick's close friend, Nick Saban. Um, just in reviewing the last few weeks, how do you think Nick has handled the quarterback situation just overall? And, uh, and, you know, we, we've seen things that we've never seen in, uh, his tenure, you know, that, that Monday press conference last week coming out and saying, Jalen's our guy. Jalen's our guy. And, uh, and I think Jalen responded in a really positive way and, and wasn't having to look over his shoulder. But just in, in general, what, what is your analysis of, uh, Saban's handling of this situation? Yeah, it's, it's obviously been messy. I mean, it's, it's been a situation where even he said it, I think last week when he was asked about what's the status of the cake, the, you know, the famous cake he talked about in SEC media days. And he said it's been out of the oven. It's been back in the oven. Now it's back out of the oven. So. I guess almost in a self-deprecating way, he's kind of poked fun at himself uh, for what's gone on at, at the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the result's still the same. Like, you started with Jalen Milrow at the beginning of the season. Jalen Milrow's still the guy. It's been a winding road in between because of the Buckner um, decision and then Ty Simpson and not playing Milrow in that game. And that's really the game that's going to come under the microscope the most when you talk about Saban's quarterback decision-making. And I, the more time passes and the more you kind of think about it and hear about it, it was more than likely a situation where he looked at that South Florida game and said, we're going to win this game no matter what. That's a bad team, and we're going to be fine no matter who we have at quarterback, and this is our last chance to look at Simpson, or our last chance to look at Buckner, I mean, and Simpson to some extent. And let's just see you know, if, if we're missing something here. And for anybody that might think, you know, and there was certainly calls, obviously, after the Texas game to bench Jalen Milrow and start Ty Buckner. And I'm going to say he was trying to prove those people wrong, but it's at least, you know, you kind of put it out there and you, you say, this is what we have. And that's what it was. And, I, you know, I don't think he was risking the game against South Florida in doing so. Um, obviously, it was closer than it, it should have been, but that, that's the one um, part of it. So, you know, it, does it matter, like, no, like you still won the game. Jalen Murrow still the quarterback. You're kind of moving forward with that. But there is sort of the outside perception that, um, you know, you bench Jalen Murrow. Like that's still going to be on his record, so to speak. And that, you know, there's still doubts. Even going back to camp when he wasn't, you know, too, um, he wasn't high on any, any particular quarterback. And then you go into the first week or two of the season and he's still talking about, we're not going to put out the depth chart. And, you know, it all kind of lends to the idea that he's not fully behind Milrow, which is why I think he came out so strongly last week 
on Monday saying he's our starter, and then on Thursday the Pat McAfee show saying that we have you know full faith in him or whatever the exact words were. So I think he realized that he needed to kind of get behind him a little bit more, and he certainly has. Mike, uh, kudos to you for asking the difficult question that I certainly wanted to know the answer to. And it had so many Alabama fans just saying, what the heck are you doing? And that was, why do you go shotgun when it's first and goal at the one-yard line? Um, one, were you expecting Mount Saban to erupt in his answer? And uh, did you det- what, what did you detect in his answer? No, I, I, you know, I, again, it's sometimes it's all about the way you phrase the question. You try to avoid certain things that trigger him. And, you know, I, I basically said, and we all saw the, the clip, you know, of the TV show after the game where Chris Stewart's talking to him and Saban's almost laughing because how comical it was of how badly they screwed up the situation after the block punt. And so you kind of knew, like, he wasn't happy about it. Like, I think that's obvious. So it's not like you're, you know, digging into any wounds by, Bring that, bringing that up, I think it's just you're asking about that situation, and then you kind of hone in from there on the um, you know the actual play call on first down that led to the disaster of the sequence. And I was a little bit surprised that you know, I don't want to say he threw Tommy Reese under the bus, but he kind of yeah. did. I mean, he did. Yeah, that's what I got out him. of it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like he used those words or even mentioned his name, but that's obviously the implication. Um, you know, he, when he's had some questions like that before, he's he's been diplomatic. I remember, um, you know, the Mississippi State game two years ago when they had a situation at the goal line and they come out and shotgun and three wides and Saban calls a timeout and they come back out and it's three tight ends and they run the ball up the middle for a touchdown. And I think it was Chris Walsh who asked him after the game, you know, basically about overriding, you know, the offensive coordinator there. And Saban said, yeah, you know, that's basically what happened, but I'm not going to throw him under the bus. So, you know, he's been diplomatic before. In this case, I think he was a little bit more aggressive, which, um, you know, might indicate kind of where he is on, on Tommy Reese right now. But it's, uh, yeah, I think in that situation, you, you at least have to try the QB sneak on first down and see what it gets you. Especially when you can push the QB now. <laughs> you mean, you get some big uglies behind him and push him into the end zone. Not just because of that play call, but just through four games of the year, do you read in that Tommy Reese is a fit, uh, a work in progress, or is it not working? I think work in progress still. You know, I, I think Saban does have a certain amount of patience, you know, especially for younger coaches. And, um, you know, he obviously went the younger route here, the less experienced route. Um, not that Tommy Reese was his first choice. I mean, there were certainly other offensive coordinators that he was going after, I think. You know, Jeff Levy was reported, and, you know, they interviewed um, Ryan Grubb, the Washington coordinator, and look at, you know, their offense right now. Um, so that's, uh, you know, you come in with it knowing that it's not going to be perfect. Like, he's not he's not Lane Kiffin. He's not Steve Sarkeesian. Like, I don't think Nick Saban expected that. Um, but, you know, you're trying to tailor it to your quarterback. Uh, I don't know if their offense has completely done that yet. I think they, they certainly want more in that direction against Ole Miss. And you're just trying to play to players' strengths. And, again, I don't know how well exactly they've done that, but it's only four games in. Um, I would wait another four games, six games, to really make a, a strong determination on that. Like, yeah, things do change. I don't think Saban is as 
um, down on play calling or coordinators as fans are. Like that's usually the the prime target for fans. I don't think it's always is for Saban, but um, you know, obviously it hasn't been great. They're 14th in the SEC right now, dead last in the SEC in, in total offense and yards per game. So it needs to get a whole lot better um, by the end of the year if, if Tommy Reese is to feel safe being here next year. Yeah. Um... What uh, what are your just expectations moving forward based on what you saw in the second half of the Ole Miss game? Did it did it feel like a, a corner was turned for this team, or are we still trying to figure out exactly who Alabama is this year? Uh, I think a corner was turned in the sense that they stopped doing some of the real dumb things that they've been doing with the penalties, calling back touchdowns, the you know, Milrose interception, a lot of that really slowed down. The sacks, um, it, you know, does that guarantee it's not going to happen again in the future? No, but yeah, I think it's almost a psychological thing. Like, you just need to stop doing it and kind of ground yourself again, and I think they did do that. Overall, though, I, I wasn't impressed with Ole Miss, and that's, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Alabama. I just, Ole Miss didn't really seem to have it, and that's the second time now in three years that they played Alabama both those games in Tuscaloosa where they just haven't had it. Um, and this is an offense that we all talked about last week coming in, you know, averaging 50 points and 500-something yards. And they looked good in that first drive. And by all accounts, talking to players after, they, they showed some things that players hadn't seen. But once Alabama adjusted to that, they didn't do much the rest of the game. And, you know, they don't have the same weapons as Texas. They're not, you know, as equipped with Xavier Worthy and Jatavion Sanders and those guys. But – you just expected more out of Lane and his ability to scheme the game. And, you know, I, I don't want to take it away from Alabama, but I, I, I do think part of that was on the whole mess. And I would still be wondering, you know, if Alabama can go to A&M and win. Obviously, it helps with their quarterback situation down there. Uh, can they beat Tennessee? Can they beat LSU? Can they beat Auburn on the road? You know, can they beat Georgia when they play them? Like, there's still a lot of questions about what Alabama can do. Mike Rodak is our guest from Bama 24-7. Bama goes to Starkville for a late kick Saturday night. And when you return to Starkville, especially this year, you talk about, you know, the remembrances of, of Mike Leach. Uh, do you have one? I don't know how often you got a chance to be around him, but he was, uh, to s- say the least, a very colorful man. Yeah, you know, a couple of media days. Um, you know, obviously didn't really paid too close attention to him before that at Texas Tech or um, Washington State, but, you know, you'd see the, the clips that went viral, and um, you know, it it was always a guy like you wanted to ask a question to at SEC Media Days and just kind of see where he would go with it. And I think I did uh, two years ago, um, you know, when NIL was just starting and asking him about that, and um, you know, it was always, it could be long and drawn out, and and winding, and uh, you just never really know what to expect. So, um, you know, obviously a, a loss for the the conference, and in, in that respect, and um, you know, it's it's still a good Mississippi State team, though. I mean, that's a team that you know I think is still capable. Um, obviously, they've they've gone back to more balance offensively, coming away from the air raid, and you know, throwing every down like they did in the, under Leach, and that's gonna be a little bit of a different look uh for alabama's defense compared to the last few years um you know and obviously the that's been a very one-sided you know series especially lately it's been 
think the last five games they've played, Alabama's outscored them 182 to 22. Um, you know, Mike Leach, when he was coach since 2020, up until it was the very last play of last year's game was when he scored his first touchdown against Nick Saban's defense. So it's been very one-sided. Um, I don't know if that changes on Saturday, but it's you know it's going to be a different looking team than it has been. Just uh, from Alabama's perspective, what's a storyline or two that you are in, really interested in in following and in seeing how it develops on Saturday night? You know, I'd say the left tackle job. You know, is Caden Proctor still have that solidly? You know, we saw Elijah Pritchett kind of come in there for a little bit of that game on Saturday, and that seems like it's more of a competition than it was the first three weeks. Uh, so that would be one. And then number two, the wide receiver position is still really intriguing to me because they're playing six or seven different guys. We saw Jalen Hale kind of come out of nowhere as a freshman. We haven't seen much of Ja'Cory Brooks. We haven't seen Malik Benson do a whole lot. Um, it's just it's a whole lot of mismatching and, and different combinations of guys and waiting to see someone really step up and become that number one. Mike, tell us what you're working on, how people can read you. Yeah, uh, Bama247.com and on uh, X, uh, at Mike Rodak. Uh, are you working on a piece right now? Yeah, just, you know, getting ready for the game and doing some preview stuff and just uh, put up a few stories from Nick Saban this morning. So you can check it all out. Great stuff. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it very much. And we urge all our listeners to go to Bama 24-7. It's a great site. Catch up on the Crimson Tide. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Uh, I guess for the next 15 minutes, if you go to our, uh, our app, Tide 100.9, and you enter the code 308, you got a shot at 30K. So make sure you do that. We'll reset at the top of the hour, and uh, we'll let you know more. In the meantime, Lars, when we get back, I want to ask you something that occurred to me just a little while ago when we were talking about Mel Tucker and Harlan Barnett. Interim coaches. We're going to talk about that. I've got an interesting question for you. You're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage.
Welcome, class. Do you guys know the theme of the book? The theme... From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. We were talking earlier about Michigan State. Even though I guess two weeks ago they said they were starting the process to to, ter- to terminate Mel Tucker. In fact, right around noon our time today, they did in fact relieve him of his duties. This all based on the situation with Brenda Tracy and moving forward about what they talked about on the phone and some of his actions. And you're probably familiar with the situation that led Michigan State to say he led to ridicule of the university. But... Lars pointed out Mel Tucker opened the season 2-0. And then Harlan Barnett, he is the interim coach, takes over. He goes 0-2. Lars, you see examples of this all the time. And one I'll give from last year is Carnell Williams. He was named interim, and he ripped it. I mean, he brought enthusiasm. And I realize the situations were a little bit different, but you still can't remove the name interim interim coaches when i think about it you still have the same team you still have the same assistant coaches you're still running the same plays what makes it blow up when you put an interim coach in or what makes (laughs) it successful with carnell yeah i think uh just an infusion of of passion you know because you, you can't radically reshape the the playbook um and you know uh, i think carnell just did a great job of uh, of motivating the kids to play hard and you know uh you, you helped me with my book on Dabo sweeney he's probably the most legendary uh interim coach to become head coach at, at clemson and it really came down to one game and almost one play as to whether or not Dabo was going to get that job um because he he was named the interim after tommy bowden resigned on uh, october 13th 2008 and it was a little strange because he was the team's wide receivers coach, right? He wasn't even a coordinator and had never been a coordinator. And uh, then so for the last six games of the regular season, uh, the Tigers went four and two and uh, ended up uh, going to Gator Bowl where they lost to, drum roll, Nebraska. Um, and then, uh, then, but Dabo then, he was named full-time head coach and, I mean, since then, uh, Clemson has uh, become a, a power. I mean, I know that they've been down a little bit, but uh, they've had, what, two national championships, uh, about 20, produced about 20 uh, first-round draft picks, maybe 17 to be exact. So, uh, you know, and, and Dabo, and you remember, like, I, I lead the book with Dabo as his first game as interim head coach. What does he do, Matt? Do you remember? He's up at the top of the hill. He's up at the top of the hill, and I recreate the scene. Uh, He he runs. He almost falls. But you know what? He was like, I don't care. I'm going for it. And he ran as fast as he could. 
I mean, he just sprinted out there, and nobody was going to catch him. It was like he was running a four four forty, and um, and that just got the crowd so fired up, and it got the players fired up. Right? I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, did that help Clemson win that game? I, I don't know, but it certainly was like, oh, well, this is different than Tommy Bowden, you know, and yeah, yeah, and and he just had such joy on his face, you know, he, he was like a kid out there, and that's why I chose to lead the whole book with that scene because it really encapsulated in one moment who Dabo Sweeney is. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, that was a, a key moment in, in his career, I think, because the, the crowd just went absolutely bananas. Um, another successful, uh, interim head coach was, uh, um, Ed Orgeron, right? Uh, when Les Miles was fired in 2016 after losing to Auburn, the Tigers were two and two. And then over the remainder of the season, LSU goes five and two. Uh, they beat ranked teams Ole Miss and A&M. And then prior to the bowl game, uh, Orgeron had the interim tag removed and he went on to, uh, go 71 and 51 in Baton Rouge and won, uh, the 2019 national title with arguably the greatest team. Yeah. Arguably the greatest team in college football history. So those are two examples. So it can work. And, and Ryan Day also. Interim head coach at, uh, um, uh, at, at Ohio State when Urban Meyer was placed on administrative leave, um, for three games and, uh, and then, uh, and, and Day in his Meyer's absence won his first three games and Meyer returned in week four. But then, uh, when Meyer retired in, uh, at the end of the season, Day was just anointed to be the head coach because of his performance as an interim head coach. So there can be good success stories, but they're rare. They're rare. Yeah, uh, they really are. Uh, did you see where Holt fired back at Ryan Day? See yeah. He said, uh, bring it on there, young fella. Yeah, he said he doesn't want to talk about Michigan. <laughs> well, if you're Ryan Day, would you? <laughs> no. No way. <laughs> Hey, uh, we got another hour to go. We're going to talk some Crimson Tide basketball next hour. So hang around as uh, we continue our broadcast on Big Noon Sports. By the way, Alabama interviews and our guest always on Fridays from Innisfree, Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. It's halftime. We'll be back. Coming up on The Game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of The Game, we'll feature Drew DeArmond, 97.7 The Zone up in Huntsville. We're going to talk a lot of Alabama Crimson Tide football. we got Nick Saban's post-practice press conference. We will continue the Dreamland School Prediction Day all starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. On Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A quarterback of, of Will Rogers' uh, level of talent, he'll, he'll, the best corners 
have trouble sticking with the best with good wide receivers, you know, for more than three and a half seconds, four seconds. So um, you just can't give Will Rogers time to throw. And so I, I'm going to be looking at that. Uh, I'm going to be it's the same thing as last week. I'm going to be looking at the defensive line play and the offensive line play because that's where Alabama is going to kind of make their money this season. Right. It's, it's the big boys up front. Uh, because of the other question marks. And, and, and again, that, that defense is just terrific on all three levels. But I especially want to see what Alabama can do in generating a pass rush against uh, uh, that Mississippi State offensive line. And, and can they kind of harass Will Rogers? All right. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. Football. It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. Win cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code 554. Again, that's 554. The code is 554. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K Payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Florida, Matt, Justin. Bottom of the hour, caught some Bama basketball with Brian Passing. I got to brag on my Braves again. Remarkable comeback victory over the Cubbies last night. They went at 7-6. to six. But in it, they hit their 300th home run of the season. 300. That's like two a game. It's just unbelievable. The record is 307. And they've got a little bit less than half a week to play. I hope they make it. This is one of the more incredible offensive teams I have seen. I'll tell you who else was. The Brooks Robinson teams with Boog Powell and Frank Robinson and Paul Blair. Uh, man, they were great offensive teams. But Atlanta is putting up some just unbelievable numbers. They're already at the 100 win mark, which is incredible for any year. But uh, I just got to, every once in a while, Lars, I got to jump into my baseball spikes and just salute my Atlanta Braves for a remarkable season that they're having. Yeah, so again, you're the you're the baseball expert here. Other than Atlanta, who uh, in the National League is going to be going to give Atlanta uh, the, the the biggest fight in the playoffs? Well, they have since '66. Although the Braves <laughs> weren't very good back then, it's always the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they're the second best team in the National League. And um, something tells me they'll be clashing heads, but it won't be till the second round because both of them will play wild card teams or the third division leader from the from the central. But it'll be another classic Braves Dodgers series. I hope somewhere along the line, because either team going to win the World Series, they're probably going to have to go through the other. So that's it. And you know, it's very interesting and and uh, appropriate that uh, the Baltimore Orioles have the second best record in baseball, and they are not far behind the 100-win mark that's been established by the Atlanta Braves. And based on what happened last night, 
with the passing of Brooks Robinson, it only seems fitting that the Orioles are having such a fantastic year. And they've done it with, uh, they've homegrown. They've grown their own. That's the way they've done it. And you will find. That's the way they've always done it, right? Yes. And, and you will, exactly. And you will find that teams that get to the pinnacle of baseball in the major leagues and stay there, that's the way they've done it. The ones that ebb and flow, look at what the Braves have done since 1991. Um, they have like 25 division titles. I might be off a little bit on that, but not far. And they've done it pretty much. Now, they'll pick up a guy here and there. You have to, given circumstances. But they grew their own. I mean, I know they didn't grow Walt, uh, Walt Maddox. <laughs> He'll <laughs> like that, won't they? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's just uh, that's the way it is. You, you grow your own and you stay your own. And I'm really pulling for an Orioles-Braves World Series. I just think that would be what, fantastic. What happened to my New York Yankees? Why do they stink so much this year uh, with, this, with a, such a huge payroll? Well, they, they get too much talent. I, I think sometimes they don't know who to play because they've got so much talent. Uh, that's just a view from Birmingham, Alabama. But I also think when you get that much talent in there, you know, don't you think, Lars, there's a little locker room issue here? I'm better than you, that kind of stuff. And maybe maybe they have a total team unity. But another thing that is always catching up with the Yankees, and that's injuries. And they get injuries to key players. Like, you know, Aaron Judge hadn't been the Aaron Judge of 60-plus home runs a year ago. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's what's happened with the Yankees. Uh, and you'll see they'll spike when they sign a bunch of really good guys, but then it'll it'll go back down for a couple of years, and I think they're down. And um, okay, uh, just seeing this that Justin passed along some breaking news, and and as Justin noted, we we don't normally talk NBA, but this is a really big trade: Portland Trailblazers trading guard Damian Lillard to the Milwaukee Bucks. And this is according to Woj, Adrian Wojciechowski, who, by the way, he was so nice. Uh, he blurbed my very first book. And, uh, and I've just always been in his debt. But, um, gosh, you put Damian Lillard on the Bucks, Justin, holy cow. Does this make the Bucks the, the team to beat in the entire league with, uh, with, with Damian Lillard on this team? It very easily does um, and I, you know, there have been rumors about Giannis Antetokounmpo searching for a trade, maybe in the short future, or wanting to leave for the for a better situation. Um, I'm sure he's happy now because Damian Lillard, one of the best point guards in the league, is going to be able to feed that whole team. And I don't even Man. I don't even want to imagine having to play them. Uh, I would, do we know what uh, Portland is getting in return? What the what the Bucks are giving up? I do I not know. I, I just saw the post that was literally like 30 seconds ago. Wad Woj posted that. Um, I mean, this, I is, uh, this is huge news in the NBA. Huge news in the NBA. All right, for um, guys like me that aren't on top of it like you two are, give me some background on Lillard. Uh, Justin, go ahead. Um, I don't have a lot of, uh, of yeah, I, I, I don't either. He, but he's just he's he's been on a bad team for a long time, and he's been overlooked. But man, his numbers are just incredible, 
and uh, and say, you know uh, he, he's just one next to Curry, Matt. He Steph Curry. He is um, basically the best point guard in the NBA. He's a scoring machine. He's dropped sixty multiple times, as well as playoff winning buzzer beaters. But like Lars said, he hasn't had the talent around him in Portland. Yeah, and he's still he's he's thirty three. Portland was relevant when when they had Big Red. Uh, Clyde, the, when they had Clyde the Glide. Oh, God, was he fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. But the Bucks um, were close a couple of years ago, weren't they? I mean, hadn't they? The Bucks won there? it uh, a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, and in 2021, I mean, a lot of people probably don't even know this, that he was honored as one of the league's greatest players of all time by being named to the NBA 75th anniversary team. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he, he's he's a special player. Seven-time All-Star, uh, four-time uh, uh, All-NBA, second team. Um, he was won the three-point contest. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he played uh, at, at Weber State. And, <laughs> uh, which really? is interesting. Yeah. And, uh, but in, in 2011, um, let's see, he led the big sky in scoring 19.7 points a game. But, uh, yeah, he was a rookie of the year at Portland. So he's been at Portland his entire career and he's just been, he's been frustrated because the the team just hasn't you know performed as well as uh, as he, he just doesn't have the talent around him and um, but yeah he's he's a special player um, he, he averaged 32 points a game last year I mean he, he led the league in scoring and shooting 46 percent uh, from from the field. He's, he's, I mean, you put him with Giannis, Justin. This is a this is gonna be a crazy good team. It really is. It's gonna be fun to watch. And it's for, this is all the NBA's been talking about: is is Giannis leaving? Is Dame going to the Heat? Was a a big topic of conversation. So a, a woge bomb, nonetheless. Got a transfer portal question for you, basketball heads. When we get back on Big Ten Sports. Join the t- Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Very warm this afternoon, partially sunny, a small chance of a shower through the evening. The high today, 89, tonight's low, 68. For tomorrow and Friday, the sky partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs between 84 and 87 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. 
This is Big Noon Sports. Brought to you by Haley Samson, Union Home Mortgage. Guys, if we go back just a few years ago in the case of Lillard and not too many more in the case of Steph Curry, um, how long would they have played at Davidson or at is it Weaver or Weber? I always thought it was Weaver, but I could be wrong. Maybe it's Weaver. How long would they have stayed before they got gobbled up by somebody? Uh, well, for Curry, I think he probably would have stayed. As I think he stayed all four years uh, because he just wasn't a very well-known player. And that's the reason that he ended up at Davidson and he needed to develop. And uh, I think Lillard was uh, kind of the same way uh, when you're playing, you know, at, at a smaller school. It's hard to get the attention. Um, but, yeah, he played all four years at Weber State. Um, and uh, his senior year, he averaged 24.5. Uh, and this is pretty amazing. In his career, he is uh, from the line – He's an 89.5% free throw shooter. And he's got a career average in the NBA of 25.2. He's just, uh, like I said, he's he's been an under-the-radar player. And, um, and, yeah, I I agree. I agree with what Justin said. I, I think, you know... As far as point guards go, he's just he's a he's just a little bit below Steph Curry, but not much. Can he shoot the three like that? Well, you said he shot forty something percent from the field. He must be able to bomb it. Yeah, from his uh, his career his career average is thirty seven percent from three. Um, yeah, I mean, and he can just take over games. When he's feeling it, he, he can do the Steph Curry stuff where he's, he's bombing it from, you know, 35, 40 feet. Uh, you know, anything inside half court for Steph Curry is like a good shot. Um, you know, it's really amazing. Like, uh, I was working on a story on Vince Carter a few years ago and went to, uh, Memphis. Uh, when is when Vince was playing in, in Memphis and they uh, the, the, the one of the nights I was there uh, the uh, um, Golden State Warriors came to town and I got to the arena really early I mean I was basically I was shadowing Vince and, and he you know he let me kind of just like be with him from the moment he parked his car in the, in the players parking lot into the locker room, you know, his first one there and he goes out on the, into the, get his like pre game workout going and where it's just him, uh, and, uh, and a trainer just out there shooting balls. And, uh, while he was out there, the second person out who was on the other side was Steph Curry. And I just thought it was the, the coolest thing I'd ever, <laughs> it was one of the coolest experiences where I just got to sit there and watch these two amazing players, uh, just go through their pregame warmups. And, you know, they, NBA players like to get lathered up, right? Before a game and then they cool down. But Steph, he was hitting like, he was hitting like about 50% of his shots from basically mid court. It was just unbelievable. I I just admit, you know, think about him when he's not being guarded. Can you imagine? Like I I I bet he could be beat anyone in the history of basketball in a game of horse. I'm serious. Just keep backing up, backing up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He's the best ever. And what's cool is, uh, and, and Steph was so nice to me for the story on Vince, because uh, Steph's dad, uh, Del Curry, played, he played with Vince in Toronto. And when Steph was a little kid, he would play one-on-one with Vince. And so they have like a, almost a, a father-son thing going on. And well, did uh, that make your story or? What? Oh yeah. Oh, it was it was oh, perfect. That's like it, finding yeah. gold. Yeah. And that's. Uh, I, I tell I tell my students half of the job is just showing up, and I, yeah, it was so great. It was that's fun. Hey, we're going to talk some more basketball, Alabama style, with Brian Passink in just a minute. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. From our home base. Best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Our Alabama-related interviews are brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker. And she is with Advantage Realty Group. And she will be joining us Friday as we broadcast from Ennis Free. Uh, our guest, Talking Hoops, is Brian Passink, the color analyst for the University of Alabama, former player as well. Brian, I want to jump into Alabama and this recent commitment, but going into the break, we happen to be talking about Damian Lillard, who just got traded from Portland to the Bucks. You familiar with this guy's game? I'm not the biggest NBA guy, and certainly I don't particularly keep up with the Trailblazers, but you familiar with this guy, and how big a trade is this? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, one of the best players in the league. Um, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a game changer in the NBA. Um, so that, that'll be fun to watch. The Bucks are already fun to watch. Um, with, uh, the Greek freak and, uh, now Damian Lillard, they're going to be, uh, they, they could be, um, very much as they have been in the last several years in the mix to, to win an NBA title. So that is an interesting trade or not trade, but, uh, was it a trade? Yeah, it's a trade. Yeah. yeah. Who did they get? Uh, who who, who I, I, don't, I don't know who they had to give up. I haven't seen the, the details of it yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, if if Milwaukee didn't have to give up too much, they probably did. Maybe the draft picks, but um, man, with uh, with like you said, a Greek freak, and, and this team is suddenly the team to beat. Maybe, maybe in all of basketball, uh, not just the East. But hey, I, I wanted to ask you uh, before we get into the guys who are actually on the team about uh, Aiden Cheryl, the uh, the top twenty five commit who uh, who just uh, announced that he was going to be playing for Alabama, picking Alabama over Ohio State. Oklahoma, Texas, and Michigan State. Uh, what kind of player is he? Uh, he uh, he said that uh, you know I, I love this because this is all we know. This like he, the reason he came to play for Nate Oates is fast uh, style of play, shooting a lot of threes, and how they play defense. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, we're, we're just talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, Alabama plays a very similar style. And uh, when you look to college basketball and programs and styles of play uh, that prepare players like that, five stars who in years past and decades past have, have looked to Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky, now all of a sudden uh, they're looking at Nate Oates and this Alabama basketball program because, yes, winning SEC titles and number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament and uh, all the success that this program is having on the floor uh, is important to players. Guys want to win. Competitors want to win. Um, but the, the way that players have developed under Nate Oates is getting the attention of some of the best players in the country. Cheryl is one of the, the highest-rated players to commit to Alabama ever. I mean, when you look at the star system, I mean, he's one of the, I think, top five or six all-time players. I mean, you're talking about guys like Colin Sexton and Brandon Miller, um, you know, going back to, um, you know, Richard Hendricks, who was a <laughs> McDonald's first-team high school All-American, uh, Gerald Wallace, players like that. I mean, this is uh, a special player who I, I think if, if this was – pre-Nate Oaks, I'm not sure Alabama's even on his radar, but because of the success uh, and the player development that Alabama uh, has right now, which is the best in the country, um, you're, you're getting guys like that. So um, last year was an incredible year. Really, two out of the last three years have been incredible with four SEC combined titles when you look at regular season and tournament titles. Um, but Great coaches um, can win, but you got to have some really good players. Alabama's been able to sign those out of high school, also bring in high-level transfers and develop those players to where they're having success in college but going on to the next level uh, and having success in the NBA. So a huge commitment for this basketball program, and Nate Oates has it rolling right now. Hey, what are you hearing, Devon? I know they've only had a couple of workouts. What are you hearing out of practice? Um, good things, talented team, uh, a team that I believe, and I, I haven't seen them this week, but I have seen them uh, this summer and this fall, uh, that, that I think they're a team that could be in the mix once again for an SEC title. And if you're uh, in the mix for a title, then you're one of the top teams in the country. And I think Alabama will have a chance to be that. Um, really, and, and what I think it depends on, is and you could say this about so many teams, really the majority teams around the country in this day and age of college basketball, is how do all these new players mix in together? Um, how quickly can you develop team chemistry? Uh, from what I've seen, uh, I, I think this group um, is going to be really good, but the roles aren't defined. Uh, there are only three players back from last year's team that, that played significant minutes. Um or that played at all, but but they're really good players. Rylan Griffin, I think, is ready for a breakout season. Mark Sears, second team All-SEC. Nick Pringle, one of the best backup centers in the country last year, uh, will take the place of Charles Bediaco. But um, the transfers, another top 10 recruiting class, those guys will play a huge part in the success of this program. But I really like this team. I think they're hungry. I think they have a toughness about them. Um, I'm not sure that there's a Brandon Miller in this group, um, but there's a lot of talent, and and they're going to be fun to watch with Nate Oates' style. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing this group come together as the year 
uh, gets started and, and then uh, progresses. As a, as a uh, former player yourself, speaking of coming together, uh, Alabama, uh, three new assistant coaches, uh, a bunch of new staff members, and as you mentioned, nine new players on the roster. How long do you think does it take to get cohesion, right, and, 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 and feel like uh, you the, the, the chemistry is, uh, is there uh, to really play at a high level? Yeah, it's a great question, and and I don't know the answer. I know that that Nate Oates takes the strategy of of, uh, of we're not going to ease into this thing. Um, once again, one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country, and I, I think that's a big reason why uh, this program's had so much success in conference play uh, is because they've rolled in ready. Uh, and year in and year out, you're going to uh, have a lot of new faces, and and that's not the case. Just for Alabama, it's, it's the way college athletics is, especially basketball right now. But what's unique is three new assistant coaches and the entire staff changing uh, with, with the exception of the head man. Um, but it's been, I, I think, one of the most interesting off-seasons. And, and we'll see if it's the best. It might be the best. It's been maybe the most impressive that I've ever seen when you lose all three assistant coaches to – Division one head coaching jobs. I, I don't. I mean, I can't find the stat. I don't know that that's ever happened. Maybe it has. I don't ever remember it. Um, but to have your three assistant coaches get head jobs is just an incredible tribute to Nate Oates in this program and where it is. Um, but and, and then in this day and age, when you have so much roster turnover for Nate, and then kind of piecing his staff together of. Uh, for, for the first few months and then ultimately establishing uh, the guys that he got um, for, from a coaching standpoint is incredible. I mean, I, not many programs did better in the transfer portal than Alabama did. You, you may have lost, a, you know, a player or two more than you were expecting. Obviously, Brandon Miller goes, um, it, it, he's going to go pro. Everybody knew that. Noah Clowney worked himself into a, a mid first round draft pick. I don't think Anybody expected that before the season? But those are good problems to have. Uh, and to go into the portal and to get some of the best players in the country and this recruiting class uh, is very impressive. And now all of a sudden you you have what I thought was the best staff in the country. And, and I think um, the fact that, that they all got head jobs um, is not really going out on a limb, you know, for Petway to get the Kennesaw State job and, Brian Hodgson at Arkansas State, Charlie Henry goes to Statesboro, gets the Georgia Southern job, um, is, is impressive. But to replace those guys with Austin Clunch, who was a sitting head coach, um, he won 50 games in the last two years, conference coach of the year, won titles uh, at the mid-major level. Ryan Pannone, who the NBA assistant, former head coach uh, of the Birmingham squadron. You just don't go and get guys with that caliber of coaching unless you've you know, maybe like Mike Krzyzewski could bring in guys like that. On the football side Nick Saban can go out and get guys with resumes like that. And, and oh by the way Preston Murphy uh, has been highly regarded uh, one, of the, one of the top assistant coaches and recruiters and um, in the country 
uh, over the last several years. So this staff, and oh, by the way, I don't know, Erwin uh, Dudley is uh, on the staff as well. Really? Um, That's and, cool. and so, yeah, so Erwin is uh, you know, one of the great players uh, in the history of the program, uh, is involved back in, in, uh, in Coleman Coliseum working with the team. So um, it's been an incredible offseason from roster turnover to guys going pro to the transfer portal, uh, three new assistant coaches, plus Erwin um, Dudley comes in. Uh, just a, an incredible offseason, really interesting. And when, when I look at this team, uh, I cannot believe what I see because there's no reason for this roster to be this good considering all the turnover that happened in the offseason. But here we are. Another talented team, and I, I don't think uh, there are a lot of coaches in the SEC that are looking forward to playing Alabama. Brian, I'm going to stick with the assistant coaches here uh, because when you form your staff, uh, at least what I used to know, you, you had to get a guy that could really recruit. You, you had to get a guy that really knew defense and could kind of be a tough guy in the locker room and then you had another guy that had to be able to rub some salve on the wounds first of all is that still true and do you have to when you're hiring coaches i mean you got to consider all those assets right yeah i i think you do um and i know that you know all those little things i think make a big difference um and and i have not had a chance to be around a lot of these assistants um, but I mean, their, their resumes are incredible. And Nate Oates, I don't know if y'all know this, but he's pretty smart. And, and he is, I'm sure, factoring in all those things. Now, who will be in what type of role? I, I think to an extent, it's to be determined. I mean, um, you've got a guy in Ryan Pannone who is, um, one of the, I mean, I've heard him described as one of the, the brilliant basketball minds in the world. I mean, he, he, and, and he's been around the world. He's coached in Europe. He's coached professionally as a head coach and an NBA assistant. Uh, his reputation, uh, is off the charts as far as that goes. And Austin Clodge mentioned, I mean, this guy, he, I mean, you don't go get sitting head coaches who are successful. <laughs> and, and, uh, I'm looking forward to get, getting to know, uh, him better and 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 to see exactly uh, what those roles will will be. Uh, I think it'll be interesting, and I think team chemistry is obviously important. It's something we talk a lot about. Um, but coaching staff chemistry was ha, has been so good um, at Alabama over the last few years. I think it's a big reason for the success. Um, I think this this coaching staff will have that, but. Just like the team, how long will that take for everybody to kind of figure out their roles? Um, but I sure like all parts involved. Um, you know, those couple of guys with Preston Murphy and, um, you know, it, it's a it's a really good staff. And, and you've got some guys around the program who will be back um, on staff roles that play an integral part as well. So uh, I'm excited about it. I, I think... I think it makes it interesting. I mean, it, I'm, I'm glad we're not talking about turnover at the top spot. I think Nate Oates is, uh, is I think he's, I, I would trade him as head coach for any coach in the country. Um, what he's doing in Alabama is unprecedented. Um, to, to get the, the guys 
to sign the, the recruits and transfers and the assistants that are coming to Tuscaloosa for basketball um, is beyond impressive. And as someone who loves this program, uh, I've enjoyed the last few years, but I think it's just a sign of things to come. Uh, I can't wait for this year. Looking forward uh, to watching this team, this new coaching staff. One more quick question for you, uh, Brian. Um, I'm so excited to see Grant Nelson, uh, the North Dakota State, uh, forward, 6'11 big man who, uh, who can shoot the three. Just your initial impression of Grant. He's better than I thought. Um, oh, wow. He's unique. Uh, he, at 6'11, um, can play the center position. He can play on the perimeter, can handle it. Um, he, he can do so many different things. Uh, you know, Nate Oates is one of the most creative basketball minds out there, and I can't wait to see how they use him because um, I don't know that, that we've had a player like him. Um, I think he's going to pick something. He was considering going to the NBA, considering to go going to other top programs, but I, I think he, he's in Tuscaloosa because of the relationship with Coach Oates. Um, the style of play, but also how he's going to be used, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. But he's he's a really good player. Um, I think he's a first team All SEC caliber talent, uh, and he's going to be fun to watch this year. I know you squeeze this in between uh, work hours, and I appreciate that very much. We'll talk again soon, Brian. Have a blessed week and a great afternoon. Thank you. Y'all too. Appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks, Brian. Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker, Advantage Realty Group. Remember that when you're looking for us. Hey, Matt, yeah. in, our, in our final segment, I have one of the greatest Charles Barkley quotes of all time. Whoa. Well, considering that's saying something. Yeah, that's saying something. I want to hear what you're saying. On the other side of the break, Big Noon Sports. Catch Christian and Corey Miller every weekday here on Tide 100.9. Coming up on the Miller's Edge, we're going to take plenty of phone calls on tomorrow. We like to hear from you, the people. Get your thoughts and comments on Bama versus Mississippi State. And we got guests, and we'll have a little bit more for you. That's on the Miller's Edge tomorrow. Tune in 11 to noon to hear Christian and Corey Miller break down everything from college to the pros on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Very warm this afternoon, partially sunny, a small chance of a shower through the evening. The high today, 89, tonight's low, 68. For tomorrow and Friday, the sky partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs between 84 and 87 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. All right. This one has even me very curious. Lars says he has one of the greatest quotes from Charles Barkley ever. You have the floor. All right. So earlier this month, Hugh Freeze made headlines when he helped baptize Auburn safety Sylvester Smith. And uh, Charles Barkley was uh, on uh, the next round. Uh, that's our buddies uh, Dunaway, uh, uh, Brownie, and, uh, and 
uh, and, and Lance LT. Uh, and so <laughs> Charles, he said, this is the quote, if y'all be down there baptizing people, please pray for better quarterback play. Let's get these three quarterbacks, baptize them, and maybe the Lord can make them play better. <laughs> I love uh, Charles Barkley. I know. Get away with that. Oh, he's so great. Have you uh, have you have you had many interactions with Charles over the years? Oh yeah, lots, lots, lots. From when Any, anything anything way. stick out? I, I, I have several, but we don't have enough time. And I don't mean that because I have so many stories. I mean it because I have so many stories and because we got 30 seconds left of the show. And I don't want to start one I can't finish. But, yeah, well, uh, if we uh, get a slow day, I can share three or four with you. <laughs> I've had a few drinks with Charles before, and it's been very entertaining. All right. Hey, we got to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back in 22 hours. Lars, Justin, y'all have a very blessed day. You too.